What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 164 of the Justin Inside podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. As always, I'm your host, Tim Baerbeck, um, and honestly, I haven't got a whole lot to say to you this week. Been a bit of a hectic one for, for me with various sort of podcast stuff, both with this and the Punks on the Pitch uh, podcast, which I'm going to plug again. If you're a fan of football, if you're a fan of alternative music, go check out Punks on the Pitch. Um, it was a big weekend in terms of football, so yeah, if you want to hear our takes on that, go check that out. Um, but also, people in this country seem to be being absolute morons again, and it looks like we're probably going to be going into a second lockdown, which is just fucking wonderful. So yeah, haven't got a whole lot to, to say and be positive about, so I'm going to keep this intro very, very short for this week, because... Um, we're not here to hear me moan about that shit. We're here to hear me talk to someone about music. And this week I'm joined by guitarist and songwriter Pedram Valiani, uh, who plays in mathcore bands Frontera and Sectioned. Uh, during the discussion we talk uh, about Ped's growing up in, in Scotland and the Scottish alternative scene, uh, how Frontera grew from being like just an inter- internet project to the band that we see today playing big festivals such as Arctangent, um, and how it's kind of become more collaborative over time, whereas before it was very much just a project between him and vocalist uh, Chad. Uh, and how kind of, yeah, how they're doing things on their own accord, they're not, not under any management or anything, and how that's kind of being beneficial for them in the long term. So yeah, please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with Ped, and I'll see you on the other side. So, joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is guitarist, songwriter of mathcore bands, uh, Frontera and Sections, Pedram Valiani. Pedram, thank you very much for, for joining me. How How's everything in your world? Like, obviously, we've seen social media posts being very busy, but you've, I guess you've kind of got a lot on your plate at the moment. Yeah, a, a lot. A lot's kind of happened. Um, first of all, thanks for having me uh, have me today and uh, apologies I've kind of run a bit late um so th- thanks very much for accommodating no, but, that's uh, cool, man. yeah times are changing um a lot's been going on both in sort of the musical realm and then uh career life and all that sort of stuff as well so it's uh, a time for reflecting and and deciding you know am I really in the right place where I want to be in life like where do I want to go next so I've had uh Quite a few decisions to make over the last uh, few months as i'm sure everybody else will have as well yeah i think that seems to be a common thread for a lot of people like for for me personally like i've told this story a lot but at the beginning of the year i went self-employed to do tour management and then obviously that all disappeared <laughs> so yeah it's very much like an eye-opener and sort of just having to kind of reassess i guess is the best way of putting it absolutely yeah, man. in terms of like the show as i say we kind of always open up with uh like taking my guests back to their roots and kind of what got them into music so what was your kind of first exposure to alternative music what kind of got you into into that sort of thing so i never really liked music when i was uh sort of coming out of primary school into secondary school i, I just didn't have like a any sort of appreciation for anything to do with music. Uh, the thing that got me curious was 
people uh, going about with offspring, Slipknot and corn hoodies. And I was like, why is everyone wearing these, you know, all the time? Like, I just didn't know what it was about. Uh, yeah. And then from that, I started listening to Now That's Why I Call Music compilation CDs, picking up, okay. like, picking up, picking up like a couple of tracks here or there, listening to it on like a, a Walkman um a Walkman tape and then I had like a Discman like a CD one so I basically yeah, yeah. just pick pick the one or two tracks and listen to them obsessively for quite a while and like I said that, that was probably just before actually I started seeing that the hoodies kicking about and um guys in my class and stuff at school so one day I just decided like I had you know I think I had like Kazaa or Kazaa Light or whatever for like peer-to-peer downloading and I was like I'm gonna like download some of this and see what everybody's what the fuss is about like why are people like yeah. talking about these bands but i downloaded i think first things like i basically had a whole day where i downloaded like lincoln park albums alien ant farm records because i really liked like their cover of smooth criminal and like movies and stuff that were on the yeah, they, yeah. they were on the they were on the now that's what i call music cds so i picked up like their full album like their whole album like anthology uh yeah i picked up i'll just load albums and then i think one of them was I downloaded the music video for Slipknot Spit Out. So I watched that yeah. and I was like, I was like, oh my God, this is so weird. But like, I really liked it. Uh, so it's, it honestly stemmed from that. Like I can remember the moment sitting at my um, computer desk that we had at the time, uh, basically just getting addicted to various types of you know it was mainly metal like i was mainly listening to like metal or hard rock stuff um yeah but I, I just i just remember some of those moments really vividly of being like this is fucking sick like i love this and you know I've, I've talked about that a lot it kind of progressed to then you know i think at the same time i didn't really have much of a i didn't have a hobby that i put a lot of time into when i was at school like i you know, my parents made me try things and like i would go to like you know try like football and like i like i like football but like a football and then I you know, I tried doing uh rock climbing briefly because like one of my friends from uh, school and one of my really good friends was really into that and uh tried um just like a, a load of random stuff that didn't really stick with me the first instrument that I picked up was violin so um, okay my, my one of my best friends at school picked up violin and then like I basically got tethered along to that tried it for a couple of months and absolutely hated it so i think <laughs> yeah. i think at the same time at the same time my appreciation for this kind of guitar based like music like rock and metal and stuff um instilled like an idea in my head that like oh maybe i could like give guitar a try um yeah yeah and then that you know fast forward that's where it kind of gradually ended up but i'm kind of talking a lot here but i'm trying to give you no 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 it's cool the, man the, the the story and i think so i think uh my cousin offered to uh offered to let me borrow uh, offered to let me have his nylon string uh like a classical guitar just to see if i was into it um i ended up buying one my, my dad ended up buying one uh from abroad he came back and he we brought one with him in his uh like carryall thing like as a separate a separate thing and um I started with a classical guitar playing like all the small things by Blink-22 and like Brilliant. <laughs> Nirvana, Come As You Are, Smells Like Teen Spirit, trying to figure out what the fuck Tab was, uh, living yeah, on, yeah. On, on Ultimate Guitar and trying to figure out what Tabs were and how they worked. And uh, that progressed to buying a Squire Strat 
um, one of those like Fender Squire Strat starter kits that had like a mini five ten watt combo amp. Um, yeah, yeah, and a, and a Squire, and yeah, I mean. There are like loads of other steps in between, but I guess that's probably the most interesting part, really. <laughs> that's cool. I think it's quite interesting that you kind of pointed out um, Alien Ant Farm as a as a kind of reference point because I don't. I think like a lot of people. I th- I'm guessing we're kind of similar ages, but kind of skim over them because I think, like as you say, that cover of Smooth Criminal like was in the mainstream sort of sphere and obviously opened up a lot of people to okay it was a bit more on like the pop punk side of things but it did open up people and i i still rate that anthology album i think it's fucking fucking love it. it's a classic like it is i mean i i've actually i, I like that album i like truant or truant however you pronounce it um those two are great i listened to up in the attic which was i think it's like third album it was had moments, but it wasn't as good as the first two. Um, but I still love both those albums. I think they're great. I've seen them live a couple yeah, of times. Yeah. And in terms of like, as you say, kind of seeing the people like wearing the the t shirts and the hoodies and stuff, was it just kind of like more your like morbid curiosity of finding out what it was rather than people actually saying, "Oh no, you need to check this out," kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, th- it was never really f- like it wasn't really thrown in my face like you need to listen to this. It was just I just saw people going about like. Funnily enough, Jamie, who did vocals for, or does vocals for a section, uh, my other band, it was his brother, Sam, at the time, had like a Slipknot hoodie and an Offspring hoodie. And like, I just see him like writing, like, you know, either lyrics or like drawing uh, the band logos on like pencil cases in school. And I was like, mm. what is this? Like, it, to me, it almost had like a little cultist following at school, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. "I really want to fucking know what this is about." I'm really curious. So it was just like, "I'm gonna, I'm just gonna find out what the hell they're, that they're on about." Um, I remember actually, Sam had a pencil on his pencil case had a thing that said "AAF suck," and it was to do with Alien Ant Farm, uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> and that, that also that also stuck with me. Um, but I, I, I love that band. I thought they had a brilliant, underrated album. So then, in terms of kind of like your musical musical education like obviously you said about kind of like picking up the guitar and stuff and sort of falling on that um spit out video from, from Slipknot but then I guess kind of moving on to maybe not necessarily what sort of you're doing with Sections and Frontier but I guess kind of on the more heavier end of things like once you were in were you kind of like digging for music or like how did you kind of like broaden your horizons uh i would like again i think most of the new music when i listened to a lot of new music it was like i sat down for a day and batch downloaded loads of random albums and things like i, I would just hoard music and put it onto my ipod and then i'd just mm. sift through it i'd listen to one or two tracks at a time across different albums and then see if i found something in that because i feel like the way I still approach music now sometimes is that the theme is really set for me on a few key things and that is the production the fact that I'm grabbed within either a whole track as an extremity or within the first 10 or 15 seconds of a track so sometimes I skip through I just see like I find a point and then I'm like oh I need to come back to that I don't really listen and nowadays like I do listen to albums linear linearly from start to finish if I want to discover something but I still kind of you know I, I sort of skip and find the magic where I can, and, and if I if nothing resonates with me, I just uh, I just discard it, um, which is probably a bad way to do it. But it's the way I've always kind of <laughs> yeah. 
been. Can you give me that question again? Because I feel like there was another part of it I was going to answer, but I forgot. Oh, just sort of like how you kind of like discovered like the the more sort of, I guess, like aggressive kind of side of things. Like, yeah, yeah. like moving on from like Slipknot and stuff like that. So, I, and then again, it kind of links back to school. I remember I was in third year uh, at school, which I don't know what the English system would have been like that. It's like uh, you're... 10 or something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I think it was like year 10 or something like that. Anyway, it was early teens and uh, was sitting in a class and Callum, our bass player for Frontier, he let me hear, um, he had a mini disc and he let me hear uh, As the Palace is Burned by Lamb of God. And I genuinely oh, was nice. like, this is frightening. Like I listened to it, I was like, this is like, <laughs> yeah. it's illogical now. Like, but I was like, oh my God, this is actually genuinely scary. And then he got a record uh, recommended from a friend in another class at school and it was Chaos Fear by Meshuggah. Um, so I nice. listened to those two and then I got really into, like that's when I bought like a Line 6 because I think um, Meshuggah were using Line 6s at the time. So I bought myself one of those classic like Spider 2 amps, the combos. Um just set everything to the insane setting and that's how I basically played for many years uh so, <laughs> so I think that that was like that was probably a point where I picked up um you know more sort of extreme uh metal and then continued to kind of go down that that sort of path mm. and then in terms of you like playing guitar as you said kind of learning all the small things in Nirvana to kind of kickstart things but like once you'd kind of got to grips with it, did you always want to play like the more aggressive side of things or was that kind of more like a s- slow progression as you were discovering music? Uh, it wasn't that I liked p- to play. So it's really weird because I don't view the music I play as like aggressive, which sounds absolutely insane. I know it's about, <laughs> it's, it's more about having a high energy song so hmm. it's it's about having a lot of energy in the, in the track and it just turns out that that correlates with it being you know heavy or intense and like you know extreme metal so um for me it's about songs i would listen to on my daily commute that would get me like pumped and going and get me like you know if i'm out for a walk or something like that just something that will give me a constant stream of like energy which is why you know i think people find when, when I write rec- when I write records for Frontier or for Section, the the records can be quite tiring and quite fatiguing. But it's something that I thrive off when I'm like when I want to listen to music. I just like that high energy bounce, and it translates to 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 the way I write stuff. As for uh, you know playing guitar and stuff and learning you know uh, all the small things and all, you know jams like that. That was the thing. Yeah, that was the thing that kind of got me going. Um, and got me started with, you know, learning and dissecting songs. But I never really like covers. Like I, I still don't really enjoy covers. Like I enjoy listening to some some other covers by other bands, but I don't like performing them and doing them myself. Yeah, like, I, I I just I, ref, I prefer to write my own music. Um, mm. So yeah, I think there became a point where I was I was I was really frustrated for a while about 10 years ago I was just really frustrated about the fact that I couldn't find a process to write music um so uh my friend Mitchell who is our art designer now for like all the stuff I basically do with Frontier Section he used to write in guitar pro all the time and I was like how do you write these songs like how can you be bothered I find it really uninspiring to like be 
tabbing yeah, stuff yeah. for Wayne Guitar Pro, right? And um, he would write the songs for Section when Section was a very early stage project. And I would be like, you know, and you know, he'd write them sporadically, and I'd really want to kind of push this more and, and write more music more regularly. But I didn't have the tool in my hand to be able to do it because I couldn't use Guitar Pro, and I, I just had no patience for. It. I wanted to write and record riffs which is why I then got into recording and mixing and production um, almost as like a way to necessitate me being able to get the ideas down. Um, mm. But it just so happened that I actually enjoyed doing that and uh, enjoyed like, kind of crafting all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think all the stuff I've done has just sort of been, it's like been out of necessity. I didn't want to have to rely on Mitchell for song ideas. So how am I going to do it? myself and um i think i'm still i'm still learning as we go uh how i kind of refine that process but i have a writing process now which i've established and i know you know how i, how I approach song how i don't get frustrated with writer's block and how i deal with all that <laughs> yeah. it's just something i've you know gained out of experience um over time yeah and then in terms of kind of like um I guess sort of like moving on from those, as you say, like not necessarily doing like covers and stuff and, and sort of discovering like Lamb of God and, and Meshuggah and things like that. Yeah. Like were, were there any guitar? Cause I think, as you say, like the music that you're writing, okay. is being sort of associated with sort of aggressive music, but you, you're not like necessarily writing in an aggressive way, but were there kind of like guitarists that when you were sort of, I guess discovering your quote-unquote own voice as a guitarist that you were drawing inspiration from at all, or was it just you sort of playing around and figuring things out on your own? A bit of both. I mean, um, the first obvious one is uh, Rage Against Machine albums with Tom Morello. Like, mm. that's probably a very obvious one with you know the, the Digitech and the Whammy stuff. Um, yeah, I've I've you know a few big guitar influences. Not necessarily, they don't all necessarily uh, contribute to how I write, but I mean, most of them are all in favorite bands um, previously, like yeah, Danger yeah. and Virgin of Kurt Blue. Um, Josh Travis is a huge one. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty obvious. Um, I don't like everything. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't actually like everything. I mean, sorry, Josh, if he's watching, I don't think he will be, but I don't like everything he's done. I think he's a phenomenal guitar player. I think he's a great writer, but I just feel like he's still, like, he's not peaked. Like, I, I've not heard the best of them. I've heard amazing demos. I've heard amazing songs. But I feel like, you know, you could get more, a lot more out of that guy. Um, he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's ridiculously talented. He's a very nice guy. He's very humble as well. Um, so, yeah, Josh, um, Kurt, Ben Wyman, obviously. I mean, those are, those are the obvious kind of metal ones. Uh, like non-metal stuff I, I loved all the stuff that was on Candy Rat so like Antoine Dufour um, obviously Andy McKee he was kind of probably uh, got that train going in terms of when stuff came online and Candy Rat was around um, there's just there's loads really I mean a, mm. short, a short list a few guitar influences yeah. for me. and in terms of like going to like shows and discovering sort of live music and stuff like, whereabouts in in scotland do you grow up edinburgh um, i've always looked oh, okay yeah yeah 
Yeah, so, like, were you going to shows? Did you did you like discover like, I guess like DIY scenes? Like, what was your kind of upbringing in that kind of aspect? So, like, I I play gigs and stuff with projects. Whether it was like one of my very first bands was was essentially like a covers band. Um, so there'd be participation whenever I was playing a gig. But I'm really I'm really bad even up until lockdown. Like. I just don't really go to gigs that often unless I'm like on mm. tour and stuff. I, I don't like I I did when I was younger um, and I'd go like my favorite bands were out and I was like obsessed with them. I would go see them, but I wasn't really good for just kind of going to a gig just because it was a social occasion. I think that's probably, you know, it's probably quite bad given that I think some of the differences I find between like mainland Europe and the UK is that people just go to shows regardless in Europe for the social occasion. I think in the UK it's... yeah. Well, you know, by and large, I mean, there are dedicated fans, but by and large, the culture seems to facilitate people who can't be asked. Um, <laughs> and unfo- unfortunately, it's it's not it's not that I can't be asked. I just I'm, I've just not been. You know, I've been. I was so focused when I was writing my own projects and stuff um, to not pigeonhole what I was doing to just the local scene, and that's when I think, you know, getting everything online and pushing all that sort of stuff really taken off. Um, so I was more like. I don't know, I had bigger thoughts in my mind than just, you know, playing gigs in Edinburgh and passing stuff around because it felt, at the time, in some ways, felt like a really insular music scene and very cliquey, and I didn't really want to be part of that. Whereas I know mm. for bands like Convergence stuff, uh, growing up in, like, the Boston hardcore scene, it was, like, a big thing, and, and community is, is still a huge thing in hardcore. Um, I just basically thought, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to try and drag the same five friends to all my shows i'd like to just put the music out online and see if people further afield are interested in it and then i'll come back and look at how things go at home yeah but like you mentioned obviously sort of going to shows when you were younger and stuff yeah. and, and things like that so i guess like like growing up was there kind of much of a, a scene in edinburgh that you were kind of drawn to or was it as you say was it just a case of when like the bigger bands came through the city that you'd kind of go along yeah so like yeah, there there is there was and you know there hopefully will be after covid like a, a good music scene in scotland we've had some um not just in edinburgh like across scotland there's some brilliant bands brilliant artists like boards of canada like one of my favorite they're from edinburgh um so yeah uh sorry can you repeat your question there's i just uh kind of diverged. <laughs> cool. brains just... absolutely melted no, that's cool. Just like saying, was there kind of much of a scene that you were kind of involved in in terms of like going to shows when you were younger, or was it like the bigger shows that you were kind of attending? It it was the bigger shows. Like I, I did attend gigs and stuff, but I wasn't like a frequent. I wasn't at like every local show that came about. I would go to a couple sporadically here or there, um, mm. but I I wasn't like a diehard gig goer. It wasn't like okay, so like every weekend I'm gonna go see a band just because they're playing. I, I never really did that. Hmm. And then, so in terms of your kind of like uh, sort of foray into like the live scene, as you said, kind of like latterly, it was kind of do the music and then sort of maybe pursue the live avenue down the line. But when you were younger and kind of like starting out, like what were the first, like you've mentioned like the covers band, but what were the kind of like first bands that you were part of and were they kind of gigging bands or were they just sort of, I don't know, like little like youth projects. What was like early ped music like? So there was, um, I had, a, I call it like a cover band. We had this like high school band called Fortuna, 
and uh, there were so many fish jokes. There still is to this day. <laughs> um, so that was that was like the thing that uh, we started in high school with. I was in that band with Callum, the bass player from Frontier, um, and a couple of other guys who I'm still really good friends with that play either in other bands or don't really play music at all these days. Um, so I think we had one two like of our own tracks somewhere on like a on like a high school there's like this rock compilation thing we did at school when we were a lot right. younger which is, it might be floating about somewhere um it was on that so i think that was the only yeah i was probably the only actual band that i've been in since before section and then section came about um later with different members and a slightly different lineup before that I actually, I genuinely think I've only been in one band before section. I had jammed with other guys who were at different schools and stuff that I think when like Suicide Season by Bring the Horizon was about, we we, you know, we started low-tuning our guitars and playing some metalcore riffs and questionable practice spaces for a while. <laughs> and, and it was, it, we didn't really, we didn't really make songs. We just sort of jammed and in, in the room and just kind of came up with ideas we didn't create any lasting you know music it was just a free-for-all um, and then two of my best friends from like late in high school we we were all really into funeral for a friend so we decided mm. that we were going to just like jam funeral for a friend songs in a practice space in edinburgh we ended up doing that and it was kind of like one-off it wasn't like some long-standing project so yeah yeah and correct me if I'm wrong, but I've vaguely like just because you mentioned suicide season, I vaguely remember like around that time, there was like a spike in like Scottish bands that sort of like did a similar sound, like th- that I remember. So like, not saying that that was a thing that influenced you at all, but like, was that a time? Because I remember like from an outside perspective, I do remember there being like a strong Scottish scene at that time. So. Was that the case, or am I just remembering it wrong? No, I think it was the case. There was um, a band called My Mind's Weapon who uh, were from Aberdeen. They were on Basic for a wee while. Um, they were kind of about around that time, I think. And uh, there are other couple of bands that are still around. I think like Tequila Killies, a band from Dundee, they were going about around the same sort of time. Um, it was a, a time where sort of MySpace, Mathcore met like emo, met like I don't know, deathcore, early deathcore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, there was there was there were things happening for sure. But those are the ones that kind mm. of stick out in my in my mind. And then in terms, of, like, we'll move on to sections in a moment. But just in terms of like you wanting to pursue music and actually sort of write and. I don't want to kind of put words in your mouth because of, as you said, like the way you're kind of doing things now and the way that kind of Frontier and stuff kind of started was like, get the music first before live sort of thing. But like when you were starting out, was it that want to play live or was it more the want to create, if that makes sense? Um, I think it was both, but more want to create. Like I wanted to to write an album in my own time that I just had full like full creative input over and I wanted it to you know in my head like I wanted it to sound good I wanted it to have good production I wanted to take my time over it and then release it and see just what happened so mm. um 
I, I, I then did, I did sort of think like, you know, it wasn't really supposed to be a live project. It was me fulfilling another creative outlet because section was going to be my live thing and Frontier wasn't um, initially. And then when we got our first gig opportunity, it sort of, you know, the idea and the reality of that came more serious. And it was like, oh, can actually get guys together and actually do a band out of this. Yeah. So then just to backtrack a little bit in terms of like when section started, like, mm-hmm. I guess like without this sounding like uh, just go for it. It's like one note sort of thing, but like se- like nowadays, like sectioned and frontier are like they kind of run simultaneously. There's similar sounds and similar vibes to it, but obviously, like you can differentiate between the two. But like in its embryonic stages, when you started sectioned, what was the kind of idea of the bands? And what was it always going to be kind of like that kind of heavy math core kind of project or did it start off as something else and evolve to that? What was it kind of like in those early stages? Well, Mitchell kind of wrote the first few songs and a couple of them we wrote in a practice room together as a band. So I think had he still been involved, the songs would have been a lot, at least earlier in time, been a lot broader in terms of the palette and the styles and influences and stuff. Um, but you know, I mean, for some people, the lines are probably blurred between what band does what and what, you know, what, what the other one does. Um, mm. But, you know, section I'm not really pushing at the moment. Frontier sort of takes up a lot of my time and it's, unfortunately, I think it's the band that's always failed to kind of get going. Um, it was really hard to balance the amount of time needed to tour with both of them on top of work, like, you know, I'm having limited kind of holidays with my job and stuff like that mm. to, to facilitate it. But um, yeah, I think again, it, it all both of those bands just came from a desire to write like some intense music that had high energy. And I think I just decided that I was going through a few aspects, uh, mainly based around tempo um, and and some feel aspects that differentiated the two. But they're they're so like you know those are so so arbitrary um you know tempo is just so arbitrary that it uh you know i i can i can't describe how to differentiate the two without listening <laughs> yeah. you know tempo is a really you know it's a difficult it's a throwaway term you know it could mean anything so and then because obviously with like section as you mentioned it was kind of the the band that you did live things with but like when you started kind of going out on on tour and stuff like I guess to start with like did you kind of just do sort of like shows around Scotland and then sort of throw out the line and see if you could go further afield because I know you did um if it was in Brighton or here in Portsmouth but I remember seeing you play down south somewhere years and years ago but obviously like was it the intention of like starting off in, in Scotland and just seeing how things evolved with sections or did you always kind of have a game plan of like wanting to hit the road and see where it would go? Um, so with section, yeah, I wanted to eventually tour and play shows and stuff. And um, when we had released like our second EP, which was a no, our third EP, 
uh, we had like a split and we basically had three EVs by this point and I wanted to get shows together so basically self-booked a tour um, and it was it was very DIY, it was very basic uh, but the band chemistry didn't really work and I think um, I wanted the the touring aspect and I think everybody else in the band was on the same sort of page so mm. it was pretty miserable um, I don't know which show it was if it was a section show the furthest south we ever played with that band in the early days was like Kingsland so it was you know, sort of East Anglia kind of way Yeah. Um, but we came back and played um, with the sort of new lineup with Jamie once we released Annihilated uh, we did like a long weekender which was uh, which was good fun, but um, yeah, I, I think I've always wanted to play live in general, um, but it was never the first goal with either band. It was let's always you know let's write some songs, let's release some records, and then we'll take the live thing separately. I think that also came about driven by the fact that there are loads of bands out there who have 10 items of merch before they have a single song out <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I, I didn't really want to follow into that trap you know um it just all that sort of stuff came sec- secondary and the first thing was, was music you know it was the most important thing that's fair enough so i guess in that aspect like because you've kind of got a bit of a different approach to it than a lot of musicians because i think they like the, the the question I always ask is like their sort of relationship with with touring and but it kind of feels like from talking to you that you've kind of got a different take on it so like I don't know do when you kind of went on that first tour like not that it was a necessity thing to do but was it just kind of like well we've written these songs we're playing live we may as well get out on the road or like did you kind of have it as like no, I want to tour, but then you had that kind of experience and you were like, well, this isn't necessarily the be-all and end-all kind of thing. No, I mean, we actively wanted to play... Well, I, I actively wanted to play shows. I wanted to get the live aspect down. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it wasn't really one or the other. I, I have always wanted, I had a desire to go, to want to play shows. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I think it's it was more about just making sure the right... Um, the right ingredients were placed in order to enable that, whether it was like financial or, you know, having around the time of a release coming out, um, just things that felt like natural once you had, you know, a record out in the public, public eye. You know? Yeah. Like people hopefully would turn up because they've heard the EP or they've heard the album and um, that would obviously be good because then they come to shows and the shows wouldn't be quiet and people would actually have heard of us, et cetera, et cetera, you know? And then in terms of like your your first experience on the road, like I guess kind of if we specified maybe doing shows outside of Scotland, like did you kind of have any like preconceived ideas of like what to expect? Like did you kind of have like this vision in mind of like what being out on the road would be like or did you just kind of go into it open-mindedly and just sort of see what would happen kind of thing? Yeah, I, I was terrified about sleep deprivation. I think that was the thing that got me the most worried about, like irrationally, about any tour for, for the first one. It was like, I, I'm not, I was like, I'm not sleeping in a van, like no matter what, like I can't mm. do it. Like I need to have sleep or I just won't be able to function. I, yeah. had, some, I had this like real, like, I mean, it's fair enough, but it, I had this like real irrational 
thing about it until I actually did it. And I was like, actually, oh, that wasn't really that bad. Um, so I guess that was that was sort of the, the the big thing from before I did the first tour. Other than that, no, there, were, there weren't really other any other preconceptions. Um, that was just a worry. Uh, the rest was all about like just gonna go play gigs, play some music, have a good time with my friends. Basically, it. <laughs> and then if we kind of move on to stuff with Frontier, I'm not gonna go through the whole sort of early history because that's on the internet for people to see if they want to kind of find out about it but like the one thing i did want to kind of broach in that aspect was was chad just purely because like obviously the dynamic between the two of you obviously over the years has kind of changed and things like that but when you kind of like because obviously for those who don't know i'm sure they do but obviously you do the writing of all the music and so on and so forth but when it came to the lyrical ideas of it, did you have him in mind or was it just a case of that you built up this friendship over the internet and you liked what he was doing in his previous project? So you approached him. Like, how did that kind of come about in the first place? Um, so, yeah, I, I liked his vocal style and um, what he was doing at the time with his other bands that I thought let's try and do something together um so yeah i mean it was basically a, a myspace uh you know myspace link up or a section mm. and i was like no let's just do this other side project and then we did one track and then did the ep and then the album so um no i mean there was there was an active decision made that like oh his vocals sound really cool it'd be really good over like the stuff that i'm gonna write instrumentally um but nowadays like on our latest album and stuff which is now which is just been finished up and uh we're like th- the way that we interact across you know over the net and stuff like that and collaborate on the the albums is much more collaborative not just with us mm. but with the guests the guys as well just getting even if that's just like getting feedback or you know getting opinions and stuff on on tracks or his vocals and stuff so you know now nowadays it's not just a case of like he'll send me over some pre-recorded stems of his vocals and i just chuck them in the track and that's it done like i'm sometimes you know challenging ideas he's doing or lyrics or like the way he's doing his vocals and i'm like can you retract this bit can you do that and i think the end result is that we get um, a much more refined record and refined sound that uh, we'll be exploring over the next while while we continue to write music. Mm. And when you kind of like did that first sort of track with it, like from your perspective, was it kind of like a wow moment of, because obviously I'm making the assumption that obviously in terms of the music side, you'd obviously been sat with it for a while and, and things like that, but obviously it didn't have the vocals. So yeah. when he'd kind of finally put that layer to it, was it kind of like the final piece of the jigsaw? Like, was there kind of a light bulb moment when you were like, oh shit, this actually works kind of thing? No, there wasn't really like a, a light bulb moment as such. It was just whenever I heard the tracks and I heard his vocals within them, I'd get like, a, if, if it was like like my favourite moment or something like that, I'd be like, I get absolutely buzzed off it and like listening yeah, yeah. listening to my instrumentals like was cool but then when you heard the final piece with his vocals on it it felt like a full song that's when I'd like you know I, 
I basically look at when I'm mixing recording music, like I like everything kind of gluing together and gelling and like his vocals slotted into the riffs and stuff perfectly because he worked with the music. He didn't just kind of sit on top of it, like he worked with it. Um, and then, yeah, basically finishing the tracks. And when he does finish the tracks, I get like the maximum effect of the song. And that's when I know it's complete, basically. Hmm. So then in terms of kind of like the build-up of the band as you say like it was something that you guys kind of put together put out into the world and obviously later down the line like the live shows come about and things like that and I, but I think for a lot of people in a broader sense the first kind of exposure to you guys was Orange Mathematics and that blew up it just went massive and obviously opened up a lot of ears to you guys and gained the interest of how this project came to be like this guy in Scotland writing the music for this guy in America and so on and so forth. So from your perspective, like as the musician, like, was it weird to see that kind of boom that that record had? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. It was, it, it was, it was crazy, but it was like the best thing I could have hoped for if I had an expectation of how it was going to go in my, mm. my my head about like oh people are gonna love this like i can't wait like if, if they do it's gonna be mental i mean that all basically became a reality for us which was insane and it was you know brilliant i don't know if that will happen now um you know if these days i think it's kind of weird as well i think when that record came about stuff like the facebook algorithm was a lot less developed you know, nowadays i'm not seeing bands i do follow and like i'm hardly seeing their stuff in my news feed it's the digital yeah digital um real estate is uh a lot tighter now so i don't know if a record like i think records that are great will always have momentum behind them i don't know if like that record came around now as opposed to when it did it would even reach people as far physically like online uh because things have kind of tightened up for a lot of bands i know it's it's a great people have with facebook and about content being hidden that you want like you know, to be more visual, uh, to be more visible publicly. Um, mm. So yeah, no, I mean, in short, it was it was absolutely insane to see the reaction, and even the same with Unloved when we put Unloved out as well. Like it, it just continued to kind of roll on. So it's we're very fortunate. Mm. And then, in terms of when you guys kind of finally got into a room and the sort of live aspect started becoming a reality, like. I guess kind of going back to what you were saying earlier, like that it was always something you'd kind of toyed with, but maybe not necessarily were actively pursuing. So was it, what I'm getting at is what came first, the idea of doing it live or did you get an offer from someone to be like, would you be interested in doing this live? Which which kind of came first? It was an offer. So we got asked to do TechFest 2016, um, Hmm. July, I think it was July 2016 or 17. Uh, we got asked to do that and that was the first you know that was the first concrete offer for a show and well I was like oh it's like it's gonna be a good one you know it's a festival it's gonna be people there like don't have to worry about that sort of stuff let's just do it and see how it goes so um so yeah it was an offer so then in, in terms of kind of like the chemistry I don't, I'm not gonna sort of dwell on the two the that first show too much but obviously nowadays like your live show is very refined and, and things like that. And obviously 
your touring schedule and things is obviously very dependent on like your job and obviously time that Chad can get to come over and things like that. So how is it just when you are on tour that you're so kind of like in sync and focused that you've been able to refine that kind of live experience or like, I don't know, is there more of a, a band conversation going on of like, when we're playing live, we should maybe try this. Like, I don't know. How does that kind of dynamic work? The conversation is like, you know, it's regular, at least with me and Chad it is. Um, And the rest of us, we all kind of, we have like a group chat and stuff like that these days where we really chat about stuff, shows live, who's doing what, et cetera. Um, In the past, you know, up until, you know, COVID, it's always been, we've got a tour coming up, we'll have some time to prepare for it. So we have like a few months and then we'll start getting the ideas properly going um going forward you know obviously we have the fact that chad lives in the states to deal with but the rest of us are here um so we you know we're trying to take advantage when possible of trying to be in a room more often safely uh and work on all the things that we want to get right for when our next album comes out for our next tour and basically try and have more more of a a, a kind of cushion between when we're trying to experiment ideas with before a tour and then actually taking them on the road so um i think it's weird we started kind of backwards in some ways being really (laughs) being really being really last minute and stuff and like you know sometimes most of the time when we have a tour like chad either arrives the day before a show like the day before we go on a tour so we don't practice with a vocalist he just kind of remotely you know remotely practices it and then comes into a room and, and does it uh yeah spots in kind of thing so you never try to kind of do like a live like facetime practice kind of thing with chat at all no no we've not we've not tried that i mean yeah it would be cool but we've not tried it no and then just in terms of like before i kind of move on away from orange mathematics like i mentioned kind of like the way that that album exploded and i think like very early on there was like a call for it to obviously be pressed onto record rather than it just being a digital album and, and things like that. And even with Unloved, like you guys were still kind of doing it off your own back kind of thing. So was that, I don't want to say that it was you keeping control of things, but was that kind of part of it that you just kind of wanted everything to be under your bubble rather than handing it over to a label like or was it just you thought, well, we've done it so far, so we can just kind of carry on this momentum? There was no reason to sign with a label because the band was growing, um, at, you know, without us having to do much other than just release the music. Obviously, like we, we did, I did stuff on launch day to kind of get it into different places, but it was organically growing. Um, and essentially, we had enough capital to put into buying merch ourselves um mm. so a label advance wouldn't have really been you know useful for us all we'd have eventually essentially been doing would be giving them away 80 percent of what we've wrote for 20 percent back and maybe one platform to promote the music on at the time whereas when we released it ourselves i had like lots of these other platforms and forums and stuff like that where people would post where i could get the music out to um and retain all that control and all that finance, which would then get recycled back into, you know, had to pay Chad's flight to come over or whatnot, or 
basically to keep buying more merch for the volumes that were required um, to basically have enough for people to want to buy. And we do stuff in, in limited runs and stuff and we, we are doing a repressing of the first album. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been like control financially more than anything. Uh, mm. You know, it's it's been about knowing that if we need, you know, if we need to fund something that comes about to make the project grow in so, such a way, like we can do it. Um, but you know, I, I just you know, we haven't we haven't received. I don't think we will ever receive a, a label offer that will be advantageous. Um, but I'm happy to be proven wrong uh, you know there's always going to be there's <laughs> yeah. always no there's there's always there's always going to be sacrifices and you know there's a level of credibility attached to that um and i think there's a level of like you know we're on third album or stuff now and people will be like yeah but like is it really going to grow is it gonna you know what, what are you going to do next you know you're never going to play Wembley or something like that not being on a label etc and I'm just kind of happy to keep going along and doing what we do. And if we prove people wrong along the way, like great, like I'm not bothered about it. I'm not out to ruffle feathers or disrespect anybody. We've had a lot of really nice interest from great people at labels and stuff and management who we are either friends with or keep in touch with. Um, but I think right now we're just, you know, it's just the music priority. It's always the music, yeah. get the music done see where it goes, see what opportunity comes our way. If opportunities stop coming, maybe we need to reassess how we align, you know, if we want to keep growing, like how do we, how do we facilitate that? Mm. And then just in terms of kind of like musical style in some aspects, I know it's kind of hard to, to pinpoint what Frontier kind of exactly is kind of thing, but I guess when you kind of came around, like, Obviously, bands like Carbomb and things like that did exist, but they weren't necessarily in the general conversation as much as they are nowadays. And I don't know, like, did you kind of find, like, with you guys, especially specifically here in the UK, like, with you guys kind of coming about, it kind of brought a rebirth of that kind of chaotic mathcore genre? Because I, I think, like, after Orange Mathematic came out, like there was more attention on car bomb obviously like now we've got bands like fawn limbs who are kind of bringing a lot of attention and stuff like that so like did you see that from an insider that like more people were paying attention to that style of music because of because you were exposing it to them in some aspect i mean car bomb have been around for years they've been around for ages um, yeah yeah so you know i mean if anything <clears throat> the aspects of our sound that we take from Carbomb like I've said it before in other interviews but like all all of my music is essentially just plagiarism of all the favorite bands that I like and listen to <laughs> yeah. so whether that's you know I mean I don't really listen to much Carbomb these days um I like their like I like the earlier stuff a lot more and they're all really great guys um but you know if it's Carbomb or if it's Dillinger or if it's Converge um it was Tony Danza it was Nine Inch Nails etc like all, all that sort of stuff all those bands form a part of how we write our music and you know i can't i can't, I don't like and can't take credit for writing original music because that's not basically what i do i know in my head i know my process my process is like take the favorite bits of these bands and assemble them in a way that is my own project um mm. and that's that's essentially what frontier is and basically what session does to me i'm not yeah. making any kind of grand claims <laughs> that's fair enough 
And then before we kind of go move on to sort of like the unloved and the, now with the third album, obviously you touched upon it earlier, but obviously you do mixing and mastering and, and sort of like the more kind of production side of things. And you said it kind of started as a sort of thought through necessity, but obviously you recently mentioned it a moment ago, the Fallen Limbs album, and you kind of did that and yeah. you've obviously done other projects in the past. So like, where did the kind of, I guess, more like deeper interest in that kind of come from and kind of like, is there, I guess, a dream project that you'd love to work on? Like if there was any band that you'd like to work on, is there something that you'd kind of want to put your name to, or are you very just open to, to what bands want to do? I think the easiest one part, part of that answer first is, are there any dream bands I'd like to work with? And the answer is that there's not a particular one. It's, yeah. um, it's, you know, most bands, most bands that have a similar vibe or wavelength with who write good music, whether they're bands I've loved for years or up and coming bands. Um, I like, you know, I'd like, I like working with people who are perhaps less established and need to, you know, might want some direction in like carving their sound. So I really like that, but um, I'm, I'm still learning and finding my feet with it as well. You know, I've, I've recorded my stuff since I basically started writing my own music and really recently within the past couple of years i've started working with more bands through outlier sound which is my studio and uh yeah so that, that that's the, the kind of fir- the first part um or the, the 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 quick answer to the the last bit about who i want to work with for the other part of your question um you were talking about so you said there was anybody that i wanted to work with and then the first part was um like how did you kind of go get into it, it. Sort of like on a deeper level? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> crazy. So I essentially, when I was about 15 or 16, I ended up just like buying a lot of recording equipment out of the blue. Mm. Um, just because I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed jamming music. And then I thought, well, I'm listening to all these demos of guys who are on like the Andy Sneap forum and they're doing mixes of their own music and they sound like professional recordings and like they can listen to my iPod and I'm like, well, I want to do that. Like if I if I can write my own music and I can produce it to like record quality standard, there's not really any sort of limit. So I then basically just thought like without trying it in bits and bobs like with plugins and like shitty, you know, little bits of shitty old gear or whatnot, I just went out and spent a stupid amount of money on recording equipment which <laughs> was really like it was, it was dumb but like then I, I then I learned to work with it all afterwards um and and still learning to work with it uh so it was basically just like lump sum have a load of stuff then figure out what I'm going to do next and that's I've been doing that over over years and you could have been like well you know it's quite wasteful what happened if you didn't like it but I basically forced myself to do it because I knew what I wanted and <laughs> I, I, I knew what I wanted to do with the, with the records and with the music and stuff and with me writing my own music and I wanted to be able to demo my ideas I couldn't do it in guitar pro so I needed equipment to do it um mm. so it, it stemmed from that and uh, yeah we did the the Fondlims album recently that's came out i've got a few other albums that i've been worked on but i'm trying to basically you know conjure up some more projects with with people that uh would be uh good to move forward i mean i'd love in an ideal world like it, it was, i would love for this to be like a full-time thing and I'm, I'm slowly kind of working towards that but um yeah yeah i don't know i have to kind of wait and see what the future holds and this is just kind of like me being curious because I, I like i have no 
knowledge of like the production side of music whatsoever but i always find it kind of like interesting how different engineers have different sort of like start like when you listen to certain records like for instance like big names like Kurt Blue or Will Putney or something like that you can definitely hear their kind of sort of influence on a, on a record and so on and so forth so like with yourself I know with the sections and frontier stuff obviously that's stuff that you've written and has a specific sound but when you're kind of working with other bands like how do you kind of approach it do you because obviously you've got like your specific ear but they've obviously got an idea of how they want it to sound but you still want it to have your stamp on it in some aspects so I don't know do you have like a specific overall sound that you're aiming for or is it that kind of collaboration with whoever you're working with nah depends on their depends on their demos depends what they want out of the sound depends what kind of sound they have in general normally if they give me demos I'll have a listen to them and suss that out um you know form limbs uh, don't come from a world too different to what Frontier do, but they are different. And uh, there are aspects of their sound that kind of were similar to what I was doing in Frontier. So there is a, lot, a little bit of overlap in that sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really, I don't force my sound and what I like to do with Frontier upon anyone's record. It's just, we work through it together and find out what the goals are and then uh, try to, I mean, that, that, that's it's very boring as well. Like I, I want them to have their own sound that, Kind of stands on its own two feet and and it's them rather than yeah. just being like something that's templated. Um, Kurt Kurt from uh, Converges, you know, for a lot of years has been very good at that. Like he he says it as well. He tries not to paint like records in a corner. Um, I think the one thing he can't remove himself from is the sound of his room. But then a lot of traditional, you know, a lot of audio engineers, they have their own room sound, which is very identifiable, especially when it comes to like drum kits and stuff. So I, I can always personally tell. A Kurt Blue recording like a mile off based on how the, <laughs> yeah. dr- how the drums sound because uh, you can hear his room you can hear his room in that which is cool it's great yeah so then in terms of kind of like moving forward with Frontier obviously we've mentioned the sort of attention and boom that Orange Mathematics got but then obviously you released Unloved and again there was a lot of sort of high praise and big press around it but from your perspective like, I don't know, because there was so much like fanfare around Orange Mathematics, was there kind of any pressure with, with coming to Unloved? Or were you just like, we've written this record, we're really proud of it, it's out in the world, I don't care what other people think sort of thing? More the second one, but I think anybody, anybody that wants to do music, even semi-professionally, will probably tell you that they want their second release to be better or do as well as the first one if they've got like a strong yeah. debut and um, but more more the second one i think the pressure probably is on for some people i mean i don't think there was a wee bit for us but you know we knew what we were putting out at the end of the day and we got some constructive feedback um positive and negative about it um from from various sources which was cool but overall like the band stood to grow from it people enjoyed it by and large from what I've seen and uh, people have taken a lot from it and some people even prefer it to the first one so I mean that's the biggest thing is like they they got into us based on the first album they stuck around for the second one and they actually prefer it so like you know that's cool you know mm. um, sometimes I think the longer you leave it between records 
as well. You could, you know, that time gap can put even more pressure on you if you feel that pressure. If you, you know, if you're, if you've got some professional expectation uh, on yourself, then yeah. But I don't know. We got a third one next, and I think I, I personally feel like a third one is the best one. But um, who knows? Maybe absolute flop. But I enjoyed making it. <laughs> and then I guess like the the big takeaway that a lot of people kind of took from unloved was that it felt a lot more kind of uh i guess abrasive is a is the term but it was a lot more kind of like jarring in some aspects compared to orange mathematics so when you kind of approached that album like was that something that you consciously wanted to do was that because orange mathematics had that specific sound Obviously, you still wanted to keep like the frontier revived to it, but I guess almost like spinal tap it and turn it up to eleven kind of thing. Like, was that the the idea that you kind of had going in? I didn't have a set goal with that record. I just, or I mean, I don't have. I guess I do have goals, but like when I initially write, I don't have like a set goal or anything like that. Yeah, I, mean, I wrote quite a lot of the songs that I wrote for Unloved. I basically wrote. I think it was after like launch day for Orange Mathematics. So the, okay. the chronology, the chronology is like, you know, I'm actually looking back in time a lot of the times when music is coming out currently. You know, our third album, which will come out probably at some point next year, there are songs for that that were pretty much written in 2017. Again, like just after, oh, okay. Love, like just after Love was finished before it came out. So there's this like time lag. Uh, but no, I, I didn't, I didn't have any any goals with unloved if i'm talking about growth and sort of you know people enjoying it then yeah my goal was maybe that it was you know it was going to be as well received as arch mathematics was but other than that it, it was just like a roll the dice and see what happens mm. and then in terms of like the the live performance like i think like i found like this time around when you were doing sort of the unloved cycle so to say like you'd kind of again it might just be my perspective and that as an outsider but you kind of put a lot more thought into like the production and the kind of like aesthetics of a live performance and things like that and i think a prime example of that was when you guys played arc tangent and there was just like pretty much constant strobe and all this kind of thing so is that something that you you've kind of thought about or is it just something that's again kind of come along naturally as you've been afforded afforded these opportunities to do bigger shows that you can kind of play around with that aspect i think the live show is the most collaborative part of the project and it's the thing that has a lot more active decision making involved around how it's presented so the lighting and, and all that sort of jazz is you know it's active decisions but like how are we gonna you know give off how are we going to do the music justice you know other than just playing it like what are we going to give people as an experience to take away from it so there's a lot more active collaborative discussion uh, in how we achieve that uh, and obviously mm. the same goes for like our tangent and stuff but that's the thing that will always i think i mean the music will evolve and, and stuff but um there's a lot more of um, a step uh in upping the live performance and with the way the world is at the moment who knows when the next live performance is going to be but i'm very keen from between now and then to um you know hone that more and, and improve on it and and ultimately you know up the ante more on 
the the live experience when it is safe to to do so yeah and just in terms of your kind of like writing process like again i could be completely just making up my own narrative here but obviously when sort of frontier kind of started obviously it was so very much like as you say like an internet project and then kind of grew into a live band but like when you kind of approached unloved and even this this third album that's coming out did you kind of approach it more with a live aspect in mind like because like obviously the, some of the music that you're playing is just so technically insane like for someone like me that can't play an instrument for shit like can't even comprehend what the hell you're doing sort of thing but like now because you've got like a structured band do you have to kind of make a more conscious effort of like okay this sounds really cool but can we play that live is that something that's kind of come into your writing process it's a half and half thing so i, I did take more of a an active decision about what would come across better live in terms of you know something as simple like where the drops are at or you know where, where the, the placement of those is where the atmosphere is um in the tracks i thought about those things perhaps didn't think so much uh technically about pulling off exact effects or something like records like exactly to the record um but by and large we we do um so you know and, and then there's like the third part of that is that i don't know if or when i'm going to be able to play all of these songs live and sometimes you know there are bands that just don't play a couple of tracks live because yeah it kind of keeps people on the edge of it and i'm totally comfortable with that you know i, I don't think i never write a song with the intention that it has to be played live um and i think there's a good challenge in writing something that you know if you're doing it and it's on recording and it's been in the studio or whatnot learning that knowing that it's possible knowing that there is a possible a possibility to do it but like doing that um and bring it into the practice room and then challenging everybody is is good fun and it's how you i think how we get better you know how we improve ourselves uh individually as musicians and um, getting out of that comfort zone and then just you know trying to figure out okay we did this on record you did this on record like how do we get this in a room how do we make this cohesive and um it's just fun it's just a lot of fun that's how we get the collaboration mm. aspect together and I'll touch upon like the third record in a minute, but just kind of more, I guess, on a personal sort of note in some aspects. Obviously, like we mentioned, obviously with Chad being in the states and things like that. But how have how has your kind of friendship sort of developed with Chad? Like not necessarily just on like a a musical sort of note, but because obviously like you've got this band member that lives in a different country. Obviously, at the moment, like COVID's completely fucked everything. So, like, I don't know, do you, how often do you kind of check in with each other? Like, I don't want to say, is it just a purely professional basis? Because I don't think it is. But, like, is it something that you're checking in with each other quite often? Are you, like, I don't know, just sort of, like, have, like, general kind of, like, in-net hangouts? Or is it kind of band conversation then evolves into, like, other conversations? How does that kind of dynamic work? Uh, I voice note quite a lot, and we talk all the time every day like whereas we're always chatting um me and him and me and the guys by and large chat most days um you know I, I, in during covid i've seen calum quite a few times and we've hung out and stuff and dan is up in our dean so i've not, not really seen him i've seen him like once or twice when the world's kind of relaxed uh 
but we all like we all engage um with each other at different times and yeah if it's directly me and Chad, it's just like, you know, a voice message him all the time, whether it's an idea to do with music or the band or somebody else's band or some other music that's come out or a new music video or, or anything. We just were constantly in touch. It's not, I couldn't be in a band with people who just were there to play the music and then didn't spend any time like communicating with each other, you know, outside mm. of that. Um, I, I personally couldn't do it. And I think I've, I learned a lesson in the previous band lineups um, that, not really working out so um yeah there's a lot to be gained from it as well like just knowing everybody well enough and knowing where everybody's you know knowing everybody's on the same page um too and i know you probably can't sort of speak on his behalf but like have you kind of spoken about how things are going over in his country at the moment yeah we chat about that um how, how things are kind of going on in America and how that will affect us and you know touring not touring etc uh, when that will come about um, like the visa prices just went up 50% to go to America oh, for bands and stuff yeah but like being completely honest I think we've all just agreed that you know it would, until things settle down drastically in America with COVID and, and that I think it's just not on the cards unfortunately at the moment um yeah because have yeah. you have you done any shows over there nope we haven't no. and i can tell you we're more likely to go to canada than we are to go to america <laughs> okay, <laughs> but, fair enough. it's a it's just a much more hospitable environment in terms of uh, being a touring band you know there's no entry visas on record like you know you don't you don't need to go get a visa to be there as well as paperwork involved it's a lot easier you still got yeah. the financial stuff and the way they've handled covid and stuff but um you know I'm more likely to go there at this point in time than the u.s and i'm i go to the yeah. u.s like i used to go to the u.s all the time for holidays and stuff but not now not right now no that's fair enough um but obviously you kind of touched upon obviously third record is it is it completely recorded now or is it get mastered on tuesday get mastered on tuesday yeah. Cool. So, in terms of like, I guess evolution, sound, and things like, without kind of giving too much away, like, what can people expect from from this record in terms of like the next step on from Unloved? Um, don't know. What's the kind of <laughs> takeaways? Take it's 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 a frontier record, uh, so that doesn't really give away very much. It's our shortest record to date. Um, okay but i mean you're still getting barraged by noise for quite some time i mean it's on a technicality it's our shortest record today um probably it's definitely exploring more of the sort of electronic side of what we were doing on the last album um the melodic side um i'm doing some vocals on some parts so that's new oh awesome um and we've got some collaborations in the works, uh, which I'll kind of I'll wait until things come about. But we've we've got a couple of collaborations on, in the works. We've got Grady from Wilhaven on one track on this, uh, on this record, which is which is sweet. Uh, one of Chad's all time favorite vocalists slash influences. So um, he was really stoked about that, and I'm stoked about it as well. It sounds really good. So we got that, um, and we're just continuing to write music. Like I've got another. I basically got like another album done after that. Uh, in draft form, I have like fifty minutes, forty-five minutes of of music, like fully <laughs> <Fucking> scripted <out>. songs. <laughs> um, 
so I think the plan really is to just crack on, do another album now, get it in the bank. We're not releasing uh, our next album until uh, sometime in probably June, July next year, depending depending on what happens with COVID. It's not going to be out until like the middle of next year. So yeah, get, yeah. get it mastered next week. We'll just sit on it. It'll sit on a hard drive, gather some dust for a while, get the artwork and all that sort of shit in place and uh, wait for that to come out. But it does mean that I think when the the next album comes out, album three, there will just be this period of like a steady, steady stream of content um, from us over the next couple of years. Uh, I don't know if it will be like an album a year, like in terms of album three comes out and the following year, like album four comes out, but we've got a couple of collaborations in place post album three that will come out as a separate release too. So there's, uh, there's plenty That's of cool. That. That's cool. It's not, it's, I think like that's the kind of beauty with your project is that like no matter what you can kind of keep busy with it and, yeah and like yeah. obviously where you're like the i know you said like this album is a lot more collaborative but you are the predominant songwriter so so forth like it's i guess it's just a kind of a matter of like when you you fancy writing the new <laughs> new stuff it's kind yeah. of there in the bag kind of thing basically yeah so just i mean the the album four stuff was like the way it's written right now in draft form is been going on in parallel with album three so like i'm just i'm constantly like writing all the time um yeah or like i write to a point and i give myself like a break and then go back and i have to always like reflect on that and see if it's like you know is it good enough is it you know not like not everything i record goes to record like i write tons of things that just don't get kept so um that my favorite part of writing an album or having an album there is the refinement process on is taking it apart like i really deconstructed our our third album um cut away like cut away like 15 minutes of music and got really down to the bone um just trying to make sure that everything had purpose um so really just i enjoy spending a a lot of time refining it once it's once it's basically there are there but yeah cool fed um how i like to sort of round this off is to sort of ask my guests um what their favorite song is but with a bit of a twist so what's your favorite frontier song you'd like to play live and why my favorite frontier song that i like to play live and why i think at the moment i enjoy playing light show process live uh the most i think it's because it's got it's just the most fun to play. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's, it's got the most varied energy, I think, of, of all our tracks. So that'll be, that, that'll be the one for me. There we go. Perfect. Ped, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate you doing this. And I'm stoked to, to hear album three when it comes out, even if it is a little way down the line. It will be, it will be a while, but yeah, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for, um, thank you for all your time today. Again, sorry, it was, it was uh, later than expected, but I appreciate you, uh, taking the call and, and hosting me nice cool man take care take care thanks tim cheers cheers Bye. see you later Bye. so there we have it folks again a massive thank you to pedram for taking some time out of his day uh, i know there was a bit of sort of lagging us kind of actually getting this sorted but we got it done and again it was a, a really really cool chat which all of these ones seem to not not saying there's been a dud episode of, of this podcast at all, but I seem to be on a bit of a roll at the moment, personally. But you could think otherwise. I don't know.
but yeah um as always if you want to keep up to date with what uh frontera and to some extent sections are doing then um all their various social media platforms will be put in the link uh sorry in the description notes of this episode um as ped mentioned frontier album three is in the works but we're probably not going to be seeing it for a while but yeah it's exciting times to sort of at least see that they're kind of got the the cogs turning so to say um that's pretty much it for another week i've actually got quite a few sort of episodes in the bag for the moment which i'm really happy about um but just a heads up it's going to be in two weeks time the thing is i'm going away for a week god forbid there isn't another lockdown so there will be a period of time where there won't be an episode but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it but yeah for now uh whether this is the first time you're listening to the show or the 165th time you're listening to the show really really appreciate it as always if you can subscribe rate review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on it really really does help um but yeah that's it for another week uh thank you again for stopping by the justin inside podcast and i'll see you soon